This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Green News Report, the Young Turks, Majority Report, Countdown with Keith Olbermann, The Onion, The David Pakman Show, Media Matters, The Colbert Report, The Tom Hartman Program, and The Progressive with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Young Turks. Speaking of spending billions for big oil... Building this pipeline will keep America addicted to oil. And while it might be a good idea for Coke Industries which supplies and refines large volumes of Canadian tar sands oil, it is a bad deal for our country. That was Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont calling on President Obama to deny approval of the proposed Keystone XL oil pipeline that would transport heavy crude oil from the tar sands of Canada 2,000 miles across Midwest farmlands, rivers, and aquifers to the Gulf of Mexico. Canada is lobbying hard for the chance to make billions more dollars off of our oil addiction. So the folks at 350.org are organizing some lobbying, too, right in front of the White House over the next two weeks. By the way, the pipeline company that's behind the Keystone Project, TransCanada, had 12 pipeline spills in the U.S. in just the last year, all on the same new pipeline. But don't worry, they say the Keystone Pipeline will be the safest in the U.S. We can dance, we can dance, everybody look at your hands. We can dance, we can dance, everybody's taking the chance. Safe to dance, oh, let's safe to dance, yes, safe to dance. There was an oil leak in the Yellowstone River, uh, which is, runs through Laurel, Montana, at part of its apex of, uh, that's what rivers have, I just invented that. But uh, it does go through Laurel, Montana. There was an oil leak there, and Exxon, you'll be shocked to know, lied about what would happen when there was a leak, lied about uh, what it would be like were there to be a leak, and of course lied about what how far the leak is going to go. Uh, Minnesota, I mean Montana Governor Brian Schweitzer is on the story, but let's let's tell you what what happened at the beginning. This is what Schweitzer said. Well, let's listen to Schweitzer first. Let's let's see some of this devastation. Listen to Brian Schweitzer refer to skunks, which I like because you know you're from Montana when that happens. Uh, this is clip number one. Well, no, it's not. It's I'm lying. It's clip number two. ExxonMobil today expanded its cleanup effort, putting more people in the field. There are 360 workers assigned to the spill as the giant oil company tries to figure out what went wrong with its pipeline. I really can't speculate on what caused this. Uh, it was a very big surprise to us. Montana Governor Brian Schweitzer toured the spill area today, observing the cleanup and promising landowners like Jim Swanson that he'll keep after ExxonMobil to get rid of the oil. This cleanup is done when the state of Montana says it's done. Nobody else. Glad you're here. And I, I promise you this, I'll personally be on this like smell on skunk until it's done. All right. Along another part of the river bank, I got about a mile of river frontage. Bob Castleberry showed us his flooded home, his land reeking of crude oil. It was a dream home. When we bought it, it was a dream home, and we wanted to stay here forever. Now the house will be torn down, and Bob and his wife will have to rebuild on higher ground. The oil stain on the side of his garage is the high water mark from the flooding. Bob said he was shocked the night he first looked out at the smelly water surrounding his house. I shined that spotlight out that front door on that side. That river was black with crude oil. Just black with crude oil. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's not surprising. But, you know, I love when the guy from Exxon uh, says that we have no idea what happened. Here's what happened. <laughs> the oil broke. Uh, the oil, the pipeline broke. And oil went all over the place. And uh, everything that you said would have happened didn't happen. The reason it happened, whatever the reason it happened, there are natural reasons it would have happened. The, the, there's been a, a very high level of flow in that river. Uh, sort of more fierce water because of uh, of rain uh, and runoff. I'm th saying things that I never really talk about, rain and runoff. Uh, but th all these things have happened, and still, you said that there were 12 feet of land between that and the pipeline. Everything would be fine. It turns out there were four. The erosion, whatever that erosion was, caused this pipeline to break, to burst, and to, to go downstream. And of course, this is what they said. ExxonMobil came um, under fire on Wednesday from Governor Brian Schweitzer, who said the oil giant had assured Montana that any spill on the Yellowstone River could be shut off in a few minutes. This is what's amazing. It took nearly an hour for that to happen, 56 minutes to be precise, uh, on July 1st, when uh, this is the longest undammed river in the United States. Uh, there's a trivia question that'll get you nowhere. We were told that there were automatic shutoff valves and that it's not possible that it could run even a couple of minutes into the river before it shut off. Well, it turns out that the shutoff was not nearby, it was in Houston, and it took much longer. It drew 30 minutes and then 56 minutes. Some are saying 50, as many as 58 minutes. Uh, and of course, they're saying initially that it wouldn't run much past where it was. Now they're saying they're seeing it 10 miles away, some 25 miles away, and Governor Schweitzer is saying that there are people that are seeing oil in North Dakota, and I don't know exactly the, the, the lay of the land there. But what's happening, of course, is that Exxon is not being totally honest. The oil companies not being totally honest. Why don't they just say, we screwed up, we got to clean this up, this is a disaster. When the river started to rise this spring and Laurel officials again said they were concerned, that's before any of this happened, after Exxon had assured them. Uh, Exxon, they contacted ExxonMobil, were told by the company on June 1st that it was not at risk, it was buried 12 feet beneath the riverbed. Uh, Gary Pressing, who we saw, or Pressing, uh, as, who we saw in that video, said that the company did not know where the 12-foot meter figure came from, but was looking into the matter. Well, good. I'm glad they're looking into it. That's going to be helpful when they figure out who said it was 12 feet. The point is, there's oil everywhere, and Brian Schweitzer seems to be on it, but he's going to be on it like smell-on skunk. In Washington, D.C. today, I think there are more protesters. Actually, I mean, this is civil disobedience. We're going to see more people get themselves arrested peacefully. They seem to be, you know, the most mild-mannered. If you saw these people at your local supermarket, uh, at the uh, your local um, Lowe's, Going, picking out, gar I mean, 
the video is up. They are protesting and sending a message to President Obama, who has the ability to stop this Keystone Pipeline from the tar sands in Alberta, Canada, down to the Gulf of Mexico. People are, have a problem with this because the first Keystone uh, Pipeline has already leaked, I think, over, I mean, multiple times over the past year. Certainly over a dozen times. It's polluted one river, is my understanding. This is even worse on two levels. One, because the, the material that will flow through this pipeline is not a pure oil. It is incredibly viscous. It is incredibly corrosive. It needs to be heated through the entire pipeline so that it will flow through and not jam up. So there is the sort of immediate practical dangers. But as Bill McKibben, who came on this program two weeks ago, to, uh, and announced that there would be this movement to get arrested, and as uh, Dave Roberts from Grist also explained to us, the real issue here is that NASA scientists have said that this, if this carbon deposit is tapped and depleted because it is the second largest concentration of carbon, of CO2, or of carbon, I should say, which would create CO2 gases in the world after the Saudi uh, oil, mine, uh, oil fields, that this would represent essentially game over in terms of climate change, that there is no turning back once you tap and burn this. President Obama, because there must be explicit authorization uh, from the president, must sign off on this because it is a pipeline that crosses the U.S.-Canada border. By doing nothing, he could kill this. By doing nothing. Didn't he say something about the planet is going to be cleaner or no longer going to be warming at the rate once he was uh, inaugurated? I accept at some level that he does not have full responsibility, or if you want, even the majority of responsibility for not getting any climate change regulation passed. I accept the fact that there are whack-a-job uh, Republicans in the Congress who are constantly ta attacking the EPA. But you cannot, you cannot defend the president if he signs off on this. There is no defense for it. None. None. Sorry. Tweet me all you want. There's just no defense for it. And the cops, meanwhile, are... Um, well, here's Bill McKibben's statement from jail. Hello, everyone. We don't need sympathy. We need company. It's clear to us that the police were hoping to deter this action, and it's equally clear to us the opposite will be the result. Apparently, the standard operating procedure in situations like this, because this happens 
uh, not all the time, but with some, it's not a, you know, this is not a completely earth-shattering occasion where people get themselves arrested uh, in front of the White House. And uh, 350.org organizers have been talking to the Capitol Police, uh, not, excuse me, not the Capitol Police, um, the Park Police, uh, for weeks about this action. Generally what happens is they, um, they arrest you, they give you a $100 ticket, and then they release you. That's what's happened uh, in the anti-war protest in, uh, I think it was December, that Mike uh, Malloy was involved in. Another one, uh, or maybe it was March, uh, on behalf of Bradley Manning. I think it was in March when Malloy got arrested. And in this instance, because it was at the beginning of this wave of arrests that are planned, of civil disobedience, they're holding the majority of the people in these tiny cells for two days, from Saturday to Monday, as a way of discouraging people from uh, doing this in the future. I don't think that's going to work. Good luck to them. I hope it brings more attention to this. You can go to tarsandsaction.org. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know the change is going to come. And I miss my family, my little girl. She is my princess. I'd give her the world. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know the change is going to come. Some kind of belief that this war we're fighting can really bring some peace. President Obama can decide this without Congress. What's his political calculation and which side do you expect him to end up on? Well, I think we're changing the odds of that at the moment. You know, a week ago, I think there's little question he would have gone ahead. Think of the pressure that's coming from the most powerful, profitable industry on the planet. Mm -hmm. But we've succeeded by organizing the largest civil disobedience protest in the environmental movement in decades in nationalizing this issue. It's no longer just people along the pipeline route and, and native people who really have been carrying this fight for a couple of years. Now it's people from all 50 states who have come to Washington to get arrested. And the media coverage that they're drawing is producing things like that editorial in the Times. So it's beginning to shift. It's going to be gut check time for the president. When he ran for president, he said, uh, the night he was nominated, in fact, he said, you know what, when I'm president, the rise of the oceans will begin to slow and the planet will begin to heal. Mm -hmm. That's powerful talk. He hasn't yet done heroic things on the environment. He's done uh, some good things around the edges, but nothing transformative. And he's backed down on some important fights. This time, he can't blame it on Congress. He doesn't need to ask Jim Inhofe's permission. <laughs> he doesn't need any help from the Congress, he can turn down this permit himself. And if he does, and here I think is the political calculation, if he does, it will send a surge of excitement through that base. But why is this one project worse <coughs> than usual, worse than acceptable? Sure. Uh, the answer lies at heart 
in the um, in the place it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Those tar sands of Canada are the second largest pool of carbon on Earth, only after the Saudi Arabian oil fields. We plumbed those Saudi oil fields 70 years ago when no one had heard of global warming. If we do the same kind of thing, make the same kind of investment, produce the same volumes of oil from Canada, then as Jim Hansen at NASA, our leading climate scientist, put it not long ago, it will be essentially game over for the climate. Mm. That's about as strong language as you're likely to get from a scientist. And it's a reminder that we need to leave carbon in the ground. It's exactly the same principle as, say, telling the Brazilians that they need to guard their rainforest, not cut it down. If the Brazilians, who are poor, are supposed to guard their rainforest, and actually they've begun to do a pretty good job of just that, then surely North Americans, who aren't poor, should be able to keep their hands off something as dangerous as all that oil. It's risky in transmission. It'll almost certainly spill in places like the Agalala Aquifer. The precursor pipeline has leaked 12 times in 12 months, you know. But even if that oil gets safely to Texas, that's just that much more of it to spill into the atmosphere. Essentially game over for the climate. That's why this has emerged as the premier environmental test for Barack Obama between now and the next election. And the rationalization for going ahead for it, obviously they're not going to say we're going to do this to put more money in the oil company's pockets, but there's not even some huge gain in jobs created yeah. or something to well, throw out? you know, you're going to have to, some people are going to have to build the pipeline. The, the mm. State Department in its uh, analysis estimates a few thousand jobs, about eight or nine hundred of them for people along the pipeline or out. But of course, that's dwarfed by the number of people who would be employed turning to the wind and the sun if we decide that we're no longer going to allow our addiction to oil to grow, that we're not going to find one more vein in, you know, uh, uh, to, to exploit. Instead, we're going to make the beginning of what, as you point out, will be a long and difficult mm-hmm. transition off fossil fuel. But as long as we keep pumping to the ground every barrel we can find, then we'll never make that transition. And it's that kind of transformation that Barack Obama needs to show us he'll lead on. Radio daylight, radio darkness. Radio daylight, radio darkness. Show me something new. Show me something new. Show me something new. Show me something new. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media. And now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Show me something new. Show me something new. Show me something new. Radio daylight, radio dark. Global warming deniers, otherwise known as the field of candidates running for uh, the presidential Republican (laughs) nomination. They now have the EPA, apparently, as the new whipping boy amongst uh, this crew. It's amazing the things that are coming out of their mouth. What Rick Perry had to say yesterday, that he thinks 
that scientists are manipulating the climate science data to make money. Which is, of course, completely untrue. I think he's referring back to the so-called climate gate scandal in which scientists' emails were hacked, stolen, and then taken out of context to make it look like scientists had manipulated the data. But multiple independent scientific inquiries have cleared all of those scientists of any wrongdoing and of all scientific misconduct. This simply isn't true. At the same time, Rick Perry's own state is one of the worst suffering from the effects of climate change, global warming. We've been talking about record heat, record drought down there in Texas, and now the uh, losses to crops, uh, cattle, and so forth are predicted to be more than $20 billion, even while Rick Perry is out there saying that, uh, oh, it costs too much money to do anything about global warming, which he says is uh, just a theory and not proven at all. Probably it's a good time to note that uh, Perry's biggest campaign donors up to now have been the oil and gas industry. Who could have guessed it? 2011 has indeed broken the record for record-breaking weather. It's only August, and we've already tied the current record for the most billion-dollar weather disasters that was set back in 2008. So far, there have been nine separate disasters topping a billion dollars in losses, and so far, those losses from floods, tornadoes, and heat waves has hit a total of $35 billion for the entire United States. And our hurricane season hasn't even started yet. National Weather Service and NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, on Wednesday launched a new public awareness campaign to educate Americans on how to be better prepared for more violent weather because they say this is the new normal. Climate scientists have long predicted that global warming will lead to an increase in more frequent and extreme weather events, and they really want people to be more prepared. And we should also be clear that while all of the major Republican candidates for the 2012 election are climate change deniers, they're not all deniers to the same extent. Perry, Bachman, and the rest say it's a conspiracy and a hoax, but Mitt Romney and John Huntsman acknowledge the scientific fact that global temperatures are rising, but they flip-flopped on their earlier positions and now say we shouldn't do anything about it. The oft-ignored Ron Paul also uh, acknowledges that there are, in fact, anomalies in the weather that can't be explained. But he, too, thinks the EPA should be put out of business, that that should be handled by uh, the courts and, and by the companies who are actually the polluters. This plays very well in the Republican primary, Des, but will it play well in a general election? Well, the polls pretty much say no. Generally, Americans like the EPA, they trust the EPA, and other scientific federal agencies. This may cause a real problem for whoever the eventual nominee is in the Republican Party in the general election. The body like soft serve, down in the deep sun. I tried to shoot a thought, but the thought sunk. Nothing to do but scratch words in the dirt and watch the water roll down. Kisses buzzing like the insects. Beads of sweat dripping down on the rent check. My candy land melted down to syrup while I watch the water roll down. Pay the lust comes in the face, but you're down in Marietta. Of course, the people who don't believe in uh, climate change are the folks at Fox News. John Huntsman, a Republican presidential candidate, uh, said uh, earlier that he did believe in global warming, which, of course, has made Fox and Friends very angry. Uh, so they're going to have that uh, mini debate right here. You recently tweeted this. You said, to be clear, I believe in evolution and trust scientists on global warming. Call me crazy. Right. 
Well, uh, I believe in evolution. I think it's part of God's plan. Uh, I've always said, and it's on the record, and by the way, I'm running on my record, uh, climate right. change uh, has an established body of science associated right. with it. That's all I'm going to say. And a lot of, and a lot of corruption but, surrounding it, which has a lot of eyebrows up. But we'll look at that. And real quick, okay, you okay, told but, Michelle but Bachman, that, let's get serious about the issues of the day. The well, issues are about to get dealing with the debt that we face and creating jobs. That's Everything true. else right now is a science but We're show. not the ones taking grant money and, and with scientists and making up results, which hurt the cause in, in particular. Brian Kilmeade is a paid tool of the corporations that want to have you ignore climate uh, uh, change. Why? Because they profit greatly. Uh, the oil companies make a tremendous amount of money as long as you don't do anything about climate change. They p pay a lot of that money in advertisement to Fox News. Fox News is part of the Republican propaganda machine. That's why they have fools like Brian Kilmeade go out there and pretend that 97% of the scientists are all what? Manipulating the data, making things up, as he said there. No, I'm sure the 3% paid by ExxonMobil are the ones that are right, and Brian Kilmeade knows better than 97% of the scientists in the world. But what's sad is that the propaganda that Fox News puts out there is working. If you look at uh, views in America over the last 10 years, from 2001 to 2011, the belief in uh, global warming has gone down from 75% all the way down to 44%. That is a huge drop off and then when you look at uh, the people who don't believe it's gone up from 19 percent to 28 percent when you look at people who are not sure it's gone from six percent to 28 percent so people say well I don't know Fox News says one thing everybody else is another uh, Brian Kilmeade tells me that the scientists are all bought all 97 percent of the scientists in the world are all taking money in order to make up something that who, who profits from from making that up. Nobody does. But people profit from pretending that climate change doesn't exist. But they've cha they've, it's worked for 30% of the population. They're like, I don't know. I don't, maybe it exists. Maybe it doesn't. Right? Now, let me tell you the reality. And these are some stark numbers. Here are the world climate indicators from 2010, last full year. We have the lowest volume of Arctic ice ever measured. Ever measured. That leads to greater water, Obviously, in the oceans, that leads to, for example, the sea level rising near Boston by about a foot. But hey, don't worry about it. I'm sure that Fox News is right and the scientists are all making it up. How about uh, rainfall? Well, we've had more rainfall on land this year than any year on record. Any year. But I'm sure climate change is just coincidence. Uh, how about barometric pressure? Lowest barometric pressure ever registered in the continental United States. Lowest ever. How about the uh, temperature? Well, uh, 2010 was tied with 2005, congratulations, as the warmest year on record. Not, hey, kind of, hey, there was 1950 was like this and 1870 was like this. No, warmest year on record. We're not done yet. According uh, to a recent report, uh, 2010 was the most extreme weather since at least 1816. And the only reason we tied 1816 is because there was a giant volcano that erupted in 1816, leading to a great number of other consequences as they uh, went throughout uh, the world and weather patterns, etc. Right? So you put all that together. You think climate change isn't happening? Only if you're a moron who watches Fox News and trusts Brian Kilmeade over 97% of the scientists in the world. This is happening, and the really scary thing about it is, it is not easy to reverse. If Fox News comes out a couple years from now when there's hurricanes and 
and everything else that have become more extreme, and the temperature that has become more extreme, and droughts that have become more extreme, which then, by the way, lead to more wars. Then they come out and go, oops, you were right. Well, what can we do? Hey, ExxonMobil already all, or made all that money. Coke Industries already made all that money. Well, golly gee willikers, good luck now. But how do we reverse it? Well, there is no way to reverse it. So you're stuck with it. In science news, researchers traced the July heat wave to a massive star at the center of the solar system. Research suggests the star is the same orb seen floating over the sky every day and that may warm the Earth through radiation. Scientists also postulate that the star may contribute to phenomena such as sweating, hot car seats, and puddle disappearance. And along these same lines, not nearly as serious, although the argument could be made it actually could affect just as many as more people, we've been having this insane heat wave recently, Lewis, all over the country, especially here in the Northeast. And, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing shorts now, I'll admit it. I won't show you, but I am wearing shorts. Uh, uh, my bottoms are shorts. And maybe Lewis, too. I can't even tell from where I'm sitting. I am, yeah. Notice that the conservative talkers, including Fox News, aren't mentioning that be the heat wave proves that there's global warming, right? Because you, know, you remember, Lewis, if it's cold in winter, we'll hear Fox News saying, oh, there's, there's obviously no global warming here. In fact, take a listen to this. Despite it being bitterly cold outside in the Northern Plains, we hear a lot about global warming. Right, despite it being incredibly cold in the part of the country where it's incredibly cold during the winter. Perhaps we should be worried now about global cooling. Right, you're not hearing anything now. This is an insane heat wave. You're not going to hear a word about it from Fox News. And the reality is that individual instances of hot or cold weather, as Which, we know... I mean, in reality, yes, this is not proof that there's global warming. However, you know what's interesting? NASA climatologist Gavin Schmidt actually said that it's, quote, very probable that any particular heat wave happening now will be shown to have been more likely a result of global warming, adding that of all the different extreme events that can happen, the partial attribution of heat waves to ongoing climate change is actually one of the easier connections to make. I'm not making the connection. NASA climatologist Gavin Schmidt is. My point is... Yeah, we're just saying Fox only talks about what's convenient If for it's cold one day during winter, it's proof that global warming doesn't exist. However, three weeks of 100-degree temperatures in Massachusetts during the summer, no mention of anything. No mention of anything. So it's time to wake up here and to stop the whole equivocating on this issue. It's time to stop putting everything on equal footing. On the one hand, 99% of scientists say global warming is a real issue and can be attributed to man's activities. And on the other hand, we manage to find a handful of scientists who say maybe it's not, right? There, it, it's not on the same level. Global warming is, is just is, is a small part of the bigger picture. If we're not looking at alternative uh, energies, alternative fuels, ways to be clean and efficient, then that that's 
an even bigger problem. Not only that, I misspoke. Global warming is not even the right term to be using. It's actually climate change. Climate change, right. Climate change, because it's really about more erratic and unpredictable climate behavior than mm -hmm. it is just about it being warmer than average. Hey, David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. Former television host and science educator Bill Nye appears occasionally on Fox News for their pop science segments. But this week, it turned awkward when Fox News anchor John Scott asked Nye what moon volcanoes had to do with global warming. And this is, uh, every rock tells a story, as we say. Does it go, you know, anywhere close to the climate change debate that's underway here on Earth? I mean, you know, if the moon well, had erupting volcanoes uh, a few years ago, well, a few million years ago, however you no, want to put it, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's not like we've been up there burning fossil fuels. Uh, no, volcanoes are not connected to the burning of fossil fuels. They're no, but... They're connected to mining. But the big thing for us on my side of this thing is the science is true I know it's been hot this summer, but I refuse to buy into the myth of global warming. It's just another big media lie, like the so-called finale of Friends. I know the gang's still out there, NBC. Show me what they're doing. Are they happy? But once again, the media is trying to convince us that this summer has been extra hot by throwing around fake temperatures. The current heat index, that's the heat and the humidity combined, feels like 116 in Little Rock, 104 degrees officially, 115 with the heat index. The heat index is already running high. It's going to be another scorcher. Washington, D.C. had a heat index of 121. 121 degrees is what it felt like. Big deal. <laughs> Who cares what it feels like? I feel like I'm 18, but I still get kicked out of college dorms. Now, fortunately, fortunately, pundit and part-time weather balloon Rush Limbaugh <laughs> is not buying the heat stereo. They're playing games with us on this heat wave again. Going to be 116 in Washington. No, it's not. It's going to be like 100, maybe 99. The heat index manufactured by the government. They tell you what it feels like. When you add the humidity in there, 116. When's the last time the heat index was reported as an actual temperature? 
It hasn't been, but it looks like they're trying to get away with doing that now. Rush is right. The heat index is just more big government numbers telling you how hot to feel. <laughs> just like their time index tells you how sleepy to feel. Oh, it's midnight here, but it's nine in L.A. Which is it, President Obama? I don't have to go to bed. But I'll do Rush one better. He doesn't believe in global warming. I don't believe in warming. I say the science isn't in on thermodynamics. I believe water boils because it's scared of fire is trying to jump out of the pot. And these hot airheads have started indoctrinating our kids. SpongeBob is talking a lot about global warming, and he's only looking at it from one point of view. Carbon dioxide? I'm pumping it into the atmosphere, boy. Thanks to global warming, the temperature will soon go through the roof. Clearly, Nickelodeon is pushing a global warming agenda. Yeah. This is even worse than when they pushed alternative lifestyles with Dora the Explorer. It is a chilling endorsement of human ape relations. This is how it works, folks. The liberal media brainwashes our kids by sneaking, sneaking propaganda into their cartoons in a code only kids can understand. We all know that SpongeBob is popular with the kids, and for the life of me, I still keep trying to figure out I'm why it is. I'm with you. I don't get it's it. It's a sponge I mean, time, in the ocean. It's hard to even follow sometimes. <laughs> I know, right? It's hard. Slow it down, Nickelodeon. He's a sponge and he's got pants. Are there footnotes I can follow along with? Now, obviously, the real issue here, folks, is the way SpongeBob is treating as accepted fact the theory that humans cause global warming. Steve Ducey, drop some science on him. While there is no disputing the fact that the Earth is getting a little warmer, the big question is, is it man-made or is it just one of those gigantic climactic you know, phases that we're going, for a while we're cold and then we get warmer and then we get colder and warmer. Is it, which one is it? Yeah, make up your mind, scientists. Do you believe in the conclusions you've reached from decades of peer-reviewed study or, you know, the wavy arm thing? Like this? And he goes like that, and then he goes like that, and like that, and like that, and Makes no sense. Come to think of it, this isn't the only thing SpongeBob pushes as fact. For instance, he lives in a pineapple under the sea. He's a fry cook. The most he could afford is a studio grape. Under the sea, under the sea. Darling, it's better down where it's wet and take it from me. I'm on the shore, they work all day. I'll win the sun, they slave away. While we've been boating full time, you floating under the sea. <laughs> Darling, all the fish is happy as after the winter. The fish on the land ain't happy. This hot Thursday in the bowl. But fish in the bowl is lucky. If you haven't read Al Gore's piece over at Rolling Stone, get over there. Rollingstone.com, of course, their website, and you can buy the magazine in the, in, in the newsstand. What I find really fascinating is that there are all these headlines that have been coming out and, uh, you know, basically 
trashing. In fact, Tom C. A. Dem uh, posts about this over at, uh, at Democratic Underground uh, today. A, a very, very cogent post that the headlines are things like Al Gore slams Obama, Al Gore blasts Obama, Obama failed to stand up. Says Gore, uh, Gore on global warming. Obama has changed little. That's not what Al Gore was saying. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's incredible. He, he his the actual title of Al Gore's Rolling Stone piece was "Climate of Denial: Can Science and Truth Withstand the Merchants of Poison?" It's about the media. Al Gore was calling out the media, and yet the media is making it all look like Al Gore was calling out the president. And the point that he make, and, and it's a brilliant article that Al Gore wrote, and and like I said, it's it's it should be essential reading because. He, it's, it's, it's one of those Wizard of Oz moments, you know, where the, where the dog pulls back the curtain and suddenly you see that it's not the, 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 the great and mighty wizard. It's, it's the, 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 you know, the little guy who's manipulating things. Gore starts out by telling the story brilliantly and succinctly of when he was a little kid and he used to watch wrestling on TV and I, I know exactly what he's talking about, because when I was a little kid, I used to watch wrestling on TV. Right on Saturday afternoon, there would there would be, there'd be the right. And there was always a narrative, right? There was a good guy, and there was a bad guy. And the bad guy was a really snarly bad guy, and he'd snarl at the cameras, and he treated everybody poorly, and he just, Arr. and the good guy was, you know, handsome and friendly, and he shook hands with people, and he smiled a lot. And then there was the referee. And the referee is what Al Gore's piece was all about. Because what would happen is, you know, the good guy and bad guy are in the ring and they're wrestling and they're beating the diseases out of, out of each other and, you know, blood flying and sweat and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and you think, at least I thought, and Al Gore thought when he was a little kid, this has got to be real. I mean, look at these, these guys are just beating the snot out of each other. Literally. And then the referee, somebody on the, uh, you know, like the manager of the bad guy would start like, you know, banging against the side of the ring with a chair, would start screaming. And the referee would come over and have a conversation with the manager of the bad guy. And while he's doing that, the bad guy would grab the good guy in an illegal lock and just start punching his face out. And everybody in the crowd's going, yelling at the ref, hey, look at that, look at that, stop that. And the referee's just kind of not paying attention. He's here having a conversation. And then when the bad guy's all done beating, beating up the good guy illegally, the referee turns around and looks like it's a normal match. And so the good guy tries to take an illegal shot at the bad guy or even just comes at him and the referee gets steps in and goes, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. And it just gets repeated round after round after round that the bad guy just gets away with all kinds of stuff because the referee just by coincidence always happens to be looking the other way or talking to somebody or get or being distracted. And the good guy never gets away with anything. In fact, anytime the good guy does anything wrong, he gets called out on it. And Al Gore says, you know, this is the exact same thing that's happening with the climate change so-called debate. All the scientists in the world are the good guys. The referee is the news media. The bad guys are the polluting industries who are sponsoring a couple of phony scientists and a whole bunch of, of uh, talking heads. 
And when the scientists, when, you know, the 98% of all the scientists in the world or climate scientists say, yes, absolutely, global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it, it's a problem, it's caused by people, it's going to be a disaster. It's already a disaster. Then the referee happens to be looking the other way. I don't know what's going on here. And, uh, or... You know, just is just kind of not paying attention to it. But when the bad guys are out there speaking, it's kind of flipping the metaphor upside down, I suppose, a little bit. But when the when the bad guys are out there saying, "Oh, there's you know, there's, there's still doubt here," then the media is all over it. Let's have a debate. It's fifty fifty after all. The old false equivalence thing. And and Al Gore points out. You know, not just what's actually happening in this article, but also points back to the to the uh, that this is no different than the strategy that was employed by the tobacco companies back in the fifties and sixties when they hired Ronald Reagan. He doesn't mention Ronald Reagan in the article, but I will to put on a doctor's uniform and say, you know, if you got a sore throat, smoke Pell-Mell's. More doctors smoke Pell-Mell's when they, when they have a cold or sore throat than any other brand. Or words to that effect. And brands to that effect. That's my recollection of the brand. And, and in fact, it's really hard to find those old ads. They've been really well scrubbed. But I remember watching them on TV. I'm you know, a little kid. Here's Ronald Reagan in a lab coat. So they're doing the same thing. And, and, and the tobacco, what the tobacco companies did was, you know, when the, when the first Surgeon General reports came out and said, you know, we have found that tobacco, when used as directed, causes death, causes lung cancer. What was the strategy of the tobacco industry? To make it seem like there was a debate. They didn't try to deny it. Altogether, they didn't. They didn't try to say, "Bah, that's nonsense." They said, "Well, maybe, but maybe not." Some people doubt that. Some people think that's not uh, couldn't be the case. And that, and in fact, some of the people involved in the anti-global warming or the global warming denier crusade, are the same people who were involved in the tobacco doesn't cause cancer crusade back in the day. And if not the same people, in some cases the same institutions. And the media is falling for it again. The media being the referees. So I just just wanted to salute Al Gore for... One of the best, best analyses I've seen in a long, long time. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. 
Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. We've reached a new low, ladies and gentlemen. Fox News is going after one of the most beloved characters on Nickelodeon. No, really. The Department of Education using SpongeBob SquarePants now to teach kids about global warming. The government agency showed kids this cartoon and handed out books that blame man for global warming, but they did not tell kids that that is actually a disputed fact. Oops. The Department of Education giving kids free books about SpongeBob seems like a good idea, right? Well, some parents don't think so. They say the books are being used to push an over-the-top green agenda regarding global warming. In a recent report, the National Research Council stated, quote, the preponderance of scientific evidence points to human activities as the most likely cause for most of the global warming that has occurred over the last several decades. Today's highs, low 100s, and a lot of 100s ahead of us right through the weekend. The record extremes of 2011 do continue to break records. As we said earlier, Oklahoma over the weekend broke its record for the highest number of days over 100 degrees. It's part of a double whammy with a record drought. But don't tell that to Oklahoma Senator James Inhofe, who still believes that the science underlying climate change is a global conspiracy. He has repeated it over and over again. He is the king of the deniers. Here's what he loves to say. The notion that man-made gases cause global warming is probably the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. I would suggest the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the people of Oklahoma is James Inhofe. And you know, it's not just Oklahoma. This week, Las Vegas broke its own record for the hottest July on record and its hottest temperatures ever recorded. And it's not just the United States. For the second year in a row, Asia is seeing record high temperatures as well. And not just run-of-the-mill heat waves. Asia, for the second year in a row, is seeing some of the hottest temperatures ever recorded on Earth. Yes, ever recorded on Earth, with temperatures above 127 degrees. And we should also point out that the six hottest undisputed temperature records ever measured in Asia have all occurred in just the last two years. And it's not just seasonally high temperatures because it's summer. A new study in the journal Science confirms that animals and plants are migrating to higher latitudes as their habitats show increased signs of warming. They're migrating, plants and animals, at two to three times faster than they were in the last study that measured this back in 2003. Apparently, plants and animals do not watch Fox News or listen to Senator Inhofe. Indeed. Climate science has also opened a rift, or an opportunity, depending on how you look at it, for the Republican presidential candidates for the 2012 election on Sunday. John Huntsman, former governor of Utah, finally got the major news networks to give him an interview after he slammed Texas Governor Rick Perry's statements last week that climate science is unproven and scientists have manipulated the data. Here is Huntsman on ABC's This Week. When we take a position that basically runs counter to what 98 of 100 climate scientists have said, what the National Academy of Science, uh, Sciences has said uh, about what is causing climate change and man's contribution to it, I think we find ourselves on the wrong side of science and therefore in a losing position. But Huntsman isn't the only Republican to attempt to use climate science to differentiate himself from the crowd. New Jersey's governor, Chris Christie, is not running for president yet, but he took the opportunity this week to reiterate his acceptance of the scientific evidence. Here he is at a press conference back in May. When you have over 90% of the world's scientists who have studied this, stating that climate change is occurring and that humans play a contributing role 
it's time to defer to the experts. Like Huntsman, he accepts the scientific evidence, but he says it's too expensive to do anything about it, which to me is about the same as being a denier. Arrests continue at the White House oil pipeline protest. More than 160 people have been arrested since Saturday at a peaceful protest in front of the White House to demand that President Obama deny approval of the proposed Keystone XL oil pipeline. Organized by TarSandsAction.org, the protesters say that the risk to the nation's farmland and water supply from potential pipeline spills is too great. And speaking of pipelines and oil spills, remember that oil spill a month ago on the Yellowstone River in Montana from a Pipeline. ExxonMobil says the cost of cleaning up those 40,000 gallons of crude oil will cost an estimated $42.6 million. Where time itself is frozen, suspended in the air. Now the water flows on Kilimanjaro, damaging the essence of our atmosphere. Threatens our existence, Kilimanjaro. This is the Onion News Network, an impenetrable barrier against deception. Keep your hands where I can see them and get inside the fact zone. And now an update on the ongoing situation in Bentonville, West Virginia. A group of miners, apparently the entire employee roster of the Kennebrook coal mine, are still trapped in dangerous, backbreaking mining jobs. Just under an hour ago, all 421 miners employed at Kennebrook were denied a pay raise. Now friends and family of those trapped in the jobs have already gathered around the mouth of the mine, hoping and praying that these miners somehow make it out before losing the best years of their lives to horrible, thankless work. Hoping and praying and wishing that something else comes up. Maybe, maybe a job at a gas station. Let's go to Brian Scott now, live on the scene for more. Brian, what is the situation there? Uh, well, Brooke, the tension here is growing. These miners have been trapped in these hellish jobs for two to 37 years, and every additional year just increases the chances that they'll never get out before retirement. Now, Brian, we did hear reports that uh, some of the miners, two of the miners actually, were rescued this afternoon. Yeah, there was one bit of good news when uh, 18-year-old Terry Coolidge and 19-year-old Vic Hansard emerged from the mine after an overnight shift and announced that they'd be joining the Army. Okay, that's very moving, but uh, Brian... Uh, are there rescue efforts underway to rescue the rest of the trapped miners? Well, officials are hoping to send a robotic probe uh, into the mine to find the remaining miners and, and allow rescuers to offer career advice over the radio. But if that's not possible, Brooke, things could get very bad. Has the Kennebrook Corporation issued any kind of apology so far to these yes, families? Yes, the company has apologized to all the victims yeah. for robbing them of what could have been healthy, productive careers above ground. And they say they'll continue to apologize periodically for as many decades as the miners remain trapped. All right, thank you so much. Keep us updated, please. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Tyrone Gale. Last week's heat wave may have affected Rush Limbaugh's reasoning abilities. Instead of listening to actual climate scientists, Limbaugh goes with his gut. I have a theory about global warming and why people think it's real. Go back 30, 40 years when there was much less air conditioning in the country. When you didn't have air conditioning and you left the house, 
may in fact have gotten a little cooler out there. Because sometimes houses become hot boxes. 30, 40 years later, all this air conditioning. And it's a huge difference when you go outside. When you go outside now, my golly, is it hot. Oh, global warming. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as 5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Tim DeChristopher is in prison today. The 29-year-old environmental activist was sentenced on Tuesday to two years in prison and fined $10,000 for bidding on energy leases that he had no intention of paying for. Nonviolently, he was trying to protect sensitive parcels of land from the ravages of the oil and gas industry, parcels that were later spared by the Department of Interior. And still, Tim DeChristopher is in prison today. Meanwhile, the executives of ExxonMobil, who've done more to despoil the earth than anyone else in the world, walk free. And still, Tim DeChristopher is in prison today. Meanwhile, the executives of BP, who devastated the Gulf of Mexico last year and whose explosion killed 11 people, they walk free too. And still, Tim DeChristopher is in prison today. Meanwhile, the executives of Massey Coal walk free, even though they've destroyed mountaintops all across Appalachia, and even though their reckless policies led to the deaths of 29 miners at Upper Big Branch last year. And still, Tim DeChristopher is in prison today. Meanwhile, the executives on Wall Street who took our whole economy down walk free and enjoy huge bonuses again. And still, Tim DeChristopher is in prison today. And meanwhile, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney walk free, even though they launched an illegal war that took the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. And still, Tim DeChristopher is in prison today. John in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've been listening uh, consistently for a couple of months now, and I just wanted to call with a couple of kudos regarding the production of the show. Uh, I thought the way that you handled the controversy over the Citizen Radio situation uh, and the way you continue to handle it was done very well, especially initially where you were playing them until they got uh, just too long for those of us who aren't really that interested in the controversy but you made the comments available on your website for the people who are. So you're not censoring anybody. You're just making it so that people who aren't interested don't have to uh, listen to all of them. Also, I wanted to give you a kudos on last week. There was a call to action to you and the shows that you get your source material from 
to have a show about the legalization of marijuana and the drug war. And I think that it's awesome, and it goes to show that uh, if a person is willing to reach out to your source material and also to you, that, uh, that that show can be done and that message can get out. Because I just got done listening to your most recent episode on legalization of marijuana and the drug wars. So kudos to you on those two great decisions and the production of the show. Keep up the good work, Jay. Thank you very much. Hey, Jay, this is Matt from Alabama. I just wanted to leave a quick comment about the guy that was talking about trying to organize and boycott the uh, gas stations. just wanted to comment that you can organize and boycott the, a certain gas station, but that's really not going to do any good. The way to really stick it to these gas stations is to use less gas. You know, the gas stations don't care what day you buy the gas on. They just care that you buy the gas. So if there's any way that, you know, someone can use public transportation or carpooling, that's the best way to try to boycott certain gas stations. It's not to, you know, switch and choose who, what gas station you use. It's just to use them less. Uh, I live here in Alabama and there's absolutely no public transportation, but I am able to, you know, carpool from time to time. And, you know, that's kind of my way to, you know, stick it to the, the gas places. So, um, hopefully that's my call to action that if you are trying to, you know, do your thing to, you know, hurt these big gas corporations is to use less of their product. All right. That's all I got to say. Hope you have a good day. Take care. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Now, as promised, I have a, a, a voicemail today that I think has broken the record for the number of strawman arguments made in it. And not only that, but they're also incredibly offensive. So I'm going to spend uh, this commentary dissecting that voicemail because kind of the whole purpose of this discussion on, on veganism has not, it has not so much been to uh, discuss the merits of you know, each argument, but to dissect the arguments themselves and to discuss kind of how people are talking to each other and how people are framing their arguments. Like that's what I find personally uh, most interesting. If I could change one thing about the conversation, it would be the, the tone of it rather than, you know, just putting my thumb on, on one side. Although uh, one person wrote in and said, Hey, you know, you were saying something that sounded really uh, biased in this conversation and, and you weren't sounding neutral to which I responded, when did I ever say that I was neutral in this conversation? Like, I think, I think the arguments against meat eating are more correct than the arguments for it. That said, that's not really the point of, of going through all this. So the, uh, the voicemail we're going to hear is from Daryl. He not only has the prestigious honor of uh, breaking this record, as I just described, he also started this entire conversation. He was the first person to call in. Uh, he was speaking out against Citizen Radio based on their you know, veganism views and, and how they uh, talked about it. And so we all have him to thank for uh, all of this. <laughs> Thanks, Daryl. First, I'm going to play uh, a clip from a previous voicemail. He sent this in a couple of months ago. Just to give you a frame of reference of where he's coming from, and I'll pick it up after that. If someone it comes and tries to make a law, pass a law, 
that says you cannot be vegan, I'm going to fight alongside of you. I think you have a right to do that. Just like I hope you'll fight alongside of me to have the right to eat the kind of food that I eat. Because, you know, that's what I want to do. I'm not going out and stealing cattle or anything. I mean, if that's what you guys are assuming. Okay, so there you go. In, in context, what he says is that this is the core of his argument. And, um, you know, so, so this is, it's okay for me to have picked it out of, of context. That is, you know, that's the entirety of what he said in his argument. And he said, this is, this is really the point that I want to get across is what he just said. And so, you know, his, his argument is based on an incredibly flawed assumption. And, and it's not the only one. In fact, like just for a second, did you hear what he said at the end? He's like, it's not like I'm stealing, you know, the cattle, if that's what you're assuming. It's like, what, wait, what? Where, like, where did that come from? <laughs> Anyways. The, the real basis of his assumption is he, he has this crazy idea, and I, I'm not, I don't mean to call him crazy, I just mean like, I don't know where he got this idea, that vegans want to legislate away uh, the, the rights to eat meat. They want to prohibit the right to eat meat. And I, I don't know where he got this idea, but he's not the only one. Other people have, have called in or, or, you know, sent me messages or emails or whatever, and it's this kind of prevalent idea of, hey, don't tell me what I am and am not allowed to eat. And my thought is, who did? All these people, they're just trying to sway you with their arguments. They're just trying to encourage you to do what they think is right. Of every vegan I've ever spoken to or heard from, none of them, zero people have ever suggested that we should legislate away the right to eat meat. In fact, you know, the the people who started all this, Citizen Radio, they have specifically addressed this. They say, of course we wouldn't ever try to, to ban it. That's crazy. Prohibition doesn't work. It doesn't work for drugs. It doesn't work for, you know, alcohol back, you know, when we tried that. Like, it just flat out doesn't work. Why in the world would we try to do it with meat? People would still eat meat. There would just be meat gangsters, you know? So literally, Daryl got on this idea by listening to Citizen Radio and and then the conversation has continued with voicemailers into this show and of all you know that collection of people none of them have suggested what he's implying they've suggested so he starts with an incredibly flawed premise which of course leads him down a an, an incredibly flawed set of logic now i mean if if his premise was right, I'd, I'd agree with his conclusions. So it's not like he's a you know an illogical guy who who like comes to the wrong conclusions. He just started with the wrong wrong premise, and now he really picks up steam in his next voicemail that he just left like within the last week or so. Oh, Jay, this is Daryl calling from California, and I was calling to weigh in on the vegan issue. I think I guess I started this whole thing long ago when I when I um, mentioned that Citizens Radio, um, you know, they kind of come down on people who eat meat because it's wrong and all these things and and I, I've been listening to some of the calls and, and all I can say is wow, that, that last call on the last show um, he got a little angry but I think he was pretty close to being on the mark I, I look at the vegan issue in the same way I look at the, uh, the tr- hard religious right who tell you you know, you can't uh, have abortion uh, 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 issue. Uh, can't can't uh, have uh, services at uh, family planning clinics. Let's put it that way. Same people who are like um, the the American Taliban. I would say the vegans on the left are the Taliban of the right. You know, they're equal to. 
So for now, he's just continuing on with the same flawed premise, and now he's getting a little bit offensive, you know, comparing to the American Taliban, who we all recognize as the religious right and those trying to actively legislate away, you know, women's rights, gay rights, and so on. So again, the, the comparison completely falls apart because there are no vegans trying to legislate any version of their morality onto anyone else. It's about to pick up, though, and he's going to change courses a little, little bit and get even more interesting. You know, this is a country where, if you go back uh, a couple hundred years, you could buy and sell people. They put in the Constitution. They made uh, a certain person three-fifths of a person, so they weren't a person. You could buy and sell that person. And um, if you were a slave and you, and you ran away, you were, you were hanged. You were killed. They're oftentimes beaten. Uh, if you stole a horse in this country, the person who stole the horse was hanged. They have valued animals above people in this country for, for years. And this is another example of that same type of uh, belief system. So I literally have no idea how slavery got brought into this. I don't even know the point he was trying to make, but I'm pretty sure that I should be offended by it. Moving on, though, he also brought up uh, horse thieves and tried to say that because horse thieves – 100 or 200 years ago were uh, put to death for their crime, that that was putting higher value on animal life than human life. And I say that makes no sense at all. The horses were simply property, and that just means it was an incredibly high penalty for the crime of robbery. Now, jumping forward into the present day, again, I've still never heard a single vegan hold animals at a you know higher level than humans. To, to put more value on the life of an, of an animal than a human. I've simply never heard it. Again, I'm sure they're out there. I just don't know who they are, and so I don't know how you base any argument on the assumption that anyone is making that argument. Um, I eat meat. Uh, uh, there's no vegan or, or vegetarian who, who could really convince me with any real reasons why I shouldn't eat meat. Um, I just, I'm not going to let some, some right winger tell me that, uh, rich people should not be taxed fairly. I'm not going to let some right winger tell me that a woman doesn't have a right to, to make a decision on abortion for herself. I don't want people telling people that you can, and this is the exact same thing as, as telling a woman, you can't have an abortion and you can't eat, eat uh, meat. So I already explained why the comparison with abortion simply doesn't work. At best, it's just urging someone to please not have an abortion with no threat of legislation to back it up. You know, I think the much more apt comparison is uh, is with energy consumption. I mean, there are like 15 totally separate and, and different and very valid reasons to not eat meat. But just from my background, the one I like the most is is energy. And so I think the, the better comparison is – Hey, I'm not trying to tell you that you can't drive a car, but can I try to convince you to get one with better mileage? You know, I mean, that's that's really all it is. And and I'm not going to ban the use of combustion engines, but I'm going to make the argument that we should use less of them. I've been eating meat for thousands of years. Um, I know this is, uh, you know, this doesn't help with the empathy side. But if we were to look at the, the, the fact in this country that people have placed animals above people literally in this country that has happened and we continue to look at it that way or some people do i think that's a problem um and that's not one that we're going to be able to figure out on a show like this 
I think people just need to, to uh, step back and look at your own life and uh, probably let's just deal with, with our own lives. And if my life infringes upon your rights, if what I do infringes upon your rights, then I'm wrong. That's probably what should be taken from this. Empathy is one thing, but what's right and what's wrong? And I don't think people will care if what I do doesn't infringe upon your rights, but it goes against something that you've chosen to believe. Um, the right-wing uh, extremists feel the same way. They should be the ones who make the rules. Maybe the vegans should, the people who uh, who want to push veganism should look at that. Uh, Dale from California, just my two cents. It'll probably spark up another firestorm, but I think people need to look at the whole picture and look at what we're saying. Um, I think when you when you put animals above people again in this country, we're 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 not looking down the historical path and taking into account what really happened here. All right, thank you. So that's where he finishes up. And, you know, I'll say again, if I thought any of his premises were correct, I would probably also agree with his conclusions. I just don't know where he got those incredibly wrong premises to begin with. So, you know, all of this started because I did a commentary on empathy, you know, more, more recently it started. And my, my idea is that vegans and, and meeting brains simply work differently. Like we just have, we're hardwired to be various degrees of empathetic because there are people who can, you know, watch one of those videos of, you know, they're like trying to butcher a cow and they're trying to kill it, but it didn't die right away and struggle, you know, just like you can see something like that and you're just like horrified and you can, and you can swear off meat from that moment forward and it lasts the rest of your life. And then there are a lot of people who can see a video like that and be like, oh, that's terrible. And then go have a hamburger and d disassociate. And so, you know, my point really is to just get people to speak differently based on the fact that, you know, we can understand each other a little bit better. So if you're, you know, vegan or vegetarian out there, telling someone that meat is murder isn't going to get you very far because the people you're talking to and trying to convince can probably completely disassociate those two things. And so if, if you're trying to make the, the argument, come to people where they are. For me, it's energy. For whatever reason, I don't have that hypercharged, uh, you know, empathetic cog in my brain. And so, so for me, you know, tapping into something I care about more in terms of, you know, fixing climate change and, and moving to a clean energy economy and whatnot, like that's, that's what speaks to me. Now, the flip side for meat eaters, I get the irritation of being told that something you're, you've been doing your whole life is wrong. If, if you can be convinced that what you've been doing your whole life is wrong, I mean, it can be traumatizing. Just ask anyone who grew up religious for the first several decades of their life and then realized it was bullshit and became an atheist. Like, it's traumatizing. So, you know, I, I get the emotional connection to this is what I do, this is what I've always done, and don't tell me I'm wrong for it. You don't have to go so far as to accuse the other side of trying to, you know, steal the meat out of your hand, you know, that's, they're not doing it. You, you sound like a guy saying, you know, Obama's coming for my guns. He's not, he's not coming for your guns. Don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's not happening. So, you know, th these people, they're trying to convince you of something, but they're not coming after you. If the problem you have with them is their, is their tone because they're calling you a murderer, well then 
you just heard me. I'm on your side. I'm trying to get everyone to tone it down. We, we can all make our arguments without being dicks about it. Um, and now the, the last thing, because this came up a, a couple of times, several people have mentioned that, that vegans or vegetarians are essentially like the religious right. And so hold that in your mind for a second. And do you remember the, the one guy who I got mad at? He called in. He said, how do you know that plants don't have feelings? He might as well have been saying, how do you know that evolution exists and how do you know the world isn't only 6,000 years old? I mean the, the point he was actually making was actually a vaguely interesting and rather nuanced one, but he was doing it in a terrible way. I actually get that there's a gigantic sliding scale. You know, For the sake of argument, let's say that humans are at the you know, pinnacle of creation and a single-celled organism is at the bottom. And there, there's a lot of gray area between the two. And where people put the line of what you know consciousness is or what sentiency is and, and you know, what's ethical to you – know, what, what collection of molecules is it ethical to, to destroy and which isn't. I, I get that that's an interesting nuanced point. But for anyone to say based on the, the degree of scientific knowledge that we have now – that you might as well equate a cow with a blade of grass because there's some information that's come out recently that says that uh, plants can have some sort of sensory mechanism that allows chemical reactions to happen that makes them appear to be reacting to their surroundings. And that's basically the same as having a brain and a spinal cord and a nervous system. There's a gray area, <laughs> but those two things are so far apart it's comical. So if you find yourself making that argument, you should probably stop. And in a more broad sense, if you find yourself having an extremely strong opinion on either side of this argument, just be aware how easy it is for you to express that opinion and come off sounding like a complete tool. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to members Raymond G, who signed up for a, a regular uh, leftist yearly membership back on August 22nd of last year and, and just renewed recently. So thanks uh, for sticking with it. And Chuck B, who signed up for a socialist yearly membership just back on May 11th, went a little bit above and beyond to help the show out a little bit more. So huge thanks to uh, Chuck and Raymond and all the members and donors who, who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Everyone can support the show by telling everyone you know about it, help spread the word of the individual clips, including the commentary you just heard on uh, you know Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and Reddit and everywhere you can imagine with the very easy-to-use links provided in the show notes. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to need A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor